Hey everyone, I am excited to share that the Kickstarter campaign for Summer Tour The Game is now live. It's an adventure-based board game inspired by those trips following our favorite bands around the country on summer tour. Uh, you drive your little hippie van piece around the country, you're chasing shows, you're collecting concert tickets. It's a good time. Uh, so visit summertourthegame.com to learn more. Uh, you'll find videos and info as well as a link to the Kickstarter page uh, where you can back this and, and make this game a reality. Uh, you can also find the Kickstarter page link in the show notes of this episode. Um, if you go there, uh, you can back the game uh, for just just $30 and you'll get your own copy of the game. Uh, we have several other tiers available um, all the way up to being a miracle backer where you can actually get your name in the game uh, for this and all future uh, editions of the game. But here's the deal. We only have until June 11th to reach our funding goal. So your support would mean a lot. Uh, please consider backing Summer Tour the game today. And thanks for tuning in to Tales from the Lot. Tales from the Lot, episode 0202. Oh, that's why they have balloons. Thomas Shortall and I discuss 31895 at the Philly Spectrum and one of my favorite authors, Kurt Vonnegut. Here we go. Hi, welcome to Tales from the Lot. This is Will. My guest today is Thomas Shortall from the Philly area. We're here to talk about 31895 at the Spectrum. How's it going, Thomas? Going very well. How about yourself? Awesome. Yeah, uh, great. Um, I saw, you know, Dead and Co. just recently said that this is going to be their their last summer. Um, do you have, have you been seeing them <laughs> the at all? Twitter, the, I have not. No, uh, I don't really have the money for it. No. Uh, it's not out of any ill ill desire or anything like that. I'd love to, but I just by the time you scrape together money for the ticket and then parking and everything on top of that, I'd rather watch it on Nogs or or just listen to the audio. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's I mean, just not, not, and it's not only them, there's, everybody's getting outrageous uh, for tickets these days, but you know, people got to get paid and you know, the guys loading in the gear got to get oh. paid and everybody. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't personally for though. that, but I'm too rich for my Yeah, load. for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely agree. I remember, I don't know when it was maybe early two thousands or something and everybody was charging, you know, fish was charging like $35 a ticket and you know, maybe, Celine Dion or somebody was charging like 50 or something, but then the Eagles come out with this tour, this reunion tour, and they're charging like 150 a ticket, you know, like five times more than anybody's, or, you know, four times more than anybody's ever charged. And, and ever since that moment, I feel like it's, it's all sort of crept up. <laughs> yeah. Everybody saw it. I was like, wow, they can get it. The Eagles can get away with it. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. All right, so you're, you're okay. So I'm back on track. You're you're from the Philly area, and, and did you grow up around there? And uh, is that you know born and raised? Yeah, uh, about about 40 minutes north of the city, a small a small town called North Wales. Um, All right. very very All right. suburban. Every, every house has 2.5 kids. <laughs> I haven't been to too many places in PA, other than I was in a band once that that played in State College, uh, and that was a. I had oh, a good time I had while I was friends there. there. Yeah, that's a good town. I have yeah. friends that went to uh, Penn State. That's definitely a happening town. Yeah, it was definitely a good time. And uh, so, you know, what were you into growing up? Um, you were were you a child of the '80s, listening to? Uh, no, I that were hair always there. And... For me. I yeah? mean, a little bit. Like when I got rebellious, I went to that kind of stuff. But my parents' first date was a dead show, so they were always there for me. <laughs> um, nice. 
I uh, my earliest memories of music. I thought Jerry Garcia was the guy who played guitar for everybody. I thought that was it. Uh, it wasn't until later I realized Dwayne Allman played guitar too. Like, uh, and then <laughs> um, I went through different phases. I went through a little metal phase. I went through a rap phase. Uh, I always came back though. I came back probably three or four times. And the time right before this show, uh, my dad went with my parents um, every time they came to town. And then usually the summer they would go uh, down to RFK or up to giant stadium or something like that. They wouldn't travel too, too far, but they would definitely get there every, you know, the spring and fall they were in Philly. And then the summer they were usually somewhere within, uh, you know, a half day's drive, something along those lines. They would come to Philly for like, you know, three to five nights or something. It would usually be, um, my dad would go with a buddy or, you know, one of my uncles or something like that. One night, one night would be date night for him and my mom. And then mm -hmm. another night would bring the kids and make a family thing out of it. I mean, once we got to a certain age, once I, my right. first show was when I was nine. that we're now eight, eight or nine, 1987 was my first show. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's the thing, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and you, you grew up in the East, but uh, the the dead toured so consistently in those areas that you you didn't have to travel far to catch you know I mean not that there's enough Grateful Dead shows to see but you could definitely see three or four or five a year um, and not Absolutely. travel all that far uh, which it, and it was, was like really clock. nice yeah yeah it spring they were going to come through there summer fall and then you know yeah. a little break in the winter maybe uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a cool thing about that time <clears throat> and living in that area. And I know my, my wife being from Texas, I uh, didn't have a lot of opportunity because uh, she was in South Texas and, and they weren't coming anywhere near South Texas. They flew know? over. They flew <laughs> yeah. over. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, bummer for her, but so, okay. So you, you, you say you started, you saw your first show at nine. Uh, where was that at? At the spectrum. Which, at the spectrum. Uh, it, for anybody listening, if you've seen Rocky, that's where that's the spectrum where the big right. fight isn't at the end. It's a very unique place. I wouldn't say it's great for concerts, but it's a great venue, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Like, I have a lot of fond, fond memories there, but it wasn't great acoustically. Uh, it was, certainly wasn't great practicality wise for getting around in, in the, you know, the concourse and whatever was not built for the crowds that it, it began to see. But I was there in my childhood. Mm -hmm. I'm not for flyers games this that the other i saw more concerts there that i could even imagine that was that was definitely one of the cool things my my dad loves live music so i before i was even a teenager i had seen just about anybody you could think of uh in that genre nice. you know yeah. yeah that's great and then uh and okay so um you you came back around to it and, and made it to this this philly show so um well, well i did want to ask actually um, what's the lot scene there like? So is it is it like right in the middle of the city? Is parking like you pay five dollars to this vendor over here and you park in a lot here or there? Do they have a centralized lot? Was there was there a shakedown style friendly lot? I should it say actually very spread out because the area that the Spectrum was in uh, also had at the time Veterans Stadium, which is where the Phillies played, which was literally next door, just only separated by a huge you know asphalt expanse of a parking lot. Um, mm -hmm. JFK Stadium was right there way back in the day, which is where, um, if you're familiar with that Crimson White and Indigo show, uh, mm -hmm. July of 89, that, that was filmed at, at uh, JFK, which was, again, 
right next door, all in that same area. And the stadiums are all still there. They're all three different ones. They've been torn down and rebuilt. But it's a huge expanse of parking lot after parking lot after parking lot. The the fact that we even found our cars leaving there some nights is still amazing. <laughs> so they have like a, a centralized sporting event hub in that area just yeah. to keep it all together. Yeah. You could, yeah. If with decent arm, you could throw a stone and hit the other stadium. They're all within eyesight, though. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike Denver here, we're like, like the Broncos fields on the other side of the interstate and the cores where the, the baseball team is at is like downtown. And then the, the basketball stadium sort of downtown, but on the, but on the, on the outskirts, uh, it's just, okay. it's a mess. <laughs> they just put them where yeah, they I, can imagine. Them. I never really thought about it. But I guess we were spoiled in that, in that, uh, in that regard, having everything localized like yeah, that. There was really nothing too too far off that you know patch of uh you know two square miles or whatever it might be yeah good for parking good for transit public transit whatever it's just one central area yeah. so yeah. but but there was a shakedown i assume people were out there vending oh and, yeah and absolutely some some way somehow they figured it out yeah yeah definitely uh east coast shows uh, from what i understand i really only got to mostly philadelphia and maybe giant stadium once or twice um, a very, very hectic crowd. Uh, I was never at a West Coast show, but I've had some of my father's friends who explained that the vibe out West is just completely different. Um, I would have loved to experience it. It sounds like it's more my style, but uh, Philly is definitely, we're, uh, as Jerry put it, we're a very horny crowd, and I would definitely uh, agree. We're <laughs> eager, eager to get in. Eager for it all to happen. Eager for you know our favorite song to come up. What have you? Eager, eager, eager. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lively crowd. From the, I, I was listening to this one in a, um, you know, the that, crowd was alive. Uh, actually, listening to that opener, hearing that crowd, uh, it got me a little bit emotional. Just because you know, obviously being there, remembering the setting, mm-hmm. but just how responsive they were to every little. You could hear it in certain crowds where Jerry would hit, you know, a certain lyrical point or you know, come in with a solo and the crowd would just be right there uh that was really mm-hmm. really cool to hear i actually had driving up to um my fiance's i threw on the show i was like oh i got an hour and a half to kill let me let me just listen and uh that hit me that that hell in the bucket opener you know what i mean and hearing the crowd mm-hmm. and i realized i got on the wrong the wrong highway heading in the complete wrong direction <laughs> i went from you know the throes of ecstasy to to cursing and then starting to get my bearing, Bobby goes, maybe going to hell in a bucket, but I'm at least enjoying the ride. And it was like, it put everything into perspective. It's like, ah, all these roads connect. Right. I'll just turn around. It was really cool. Right it was, on it was a very, very grateful dead moment. And, you know, that's awesome. 27 years uh, past the point. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So this, this 318.95 show, who, who did you go with? And, uh, um, you know, um, my dad, there was a pretty decent group of us. It was my one uncle, my father, uh, one of his real good close friends that I remember from years back in my childhood. Uh, another guy who I just referenced to is he was in the military in the seventies, I believe the Navy. And, uh, I think he was stationed in San Diego and, uh, he was at a, a pretty decent number of shows in the West and other places. Um, so it was a good group of, uh, you know, five or six guys, seven, eight or somewhere in there. 
And uh, I had some friends who were a couple years ahead of me in high school that uh, were also there. We ran into them, but I was with a couple of them the night before with my father. I was telling you in the email, it kind of got comical at a certain point with us each trying to party respectively, but not wanting the other ones to find out about it. Uh, my <laughs> one buddy, we snuck off and did our thing and then came back and my parents were, my dad and his buddies were trying to do their thing. So my dad sent my buddy off to uh, a porta potty and they happened to be building the Eagle stadium where the Eagles play currently next door. And there's this bank of porta potties, oh. but that was too for my father's comfort. So he's like, no, you don't want to use those. The construction workers use those. So you want to go see it way over there, go to that one. But he figured that was a long enough trip to send him on for us to burn whatever we needed to burn and have him come back. Uh, and I just remember him trying to send him over. My friend shoot me a look, knowing exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what the ruse was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, back, back in those days, did you go to a Ticketmaster, get your tickets, or did you mail order them? You remember? My dad always, he always did mail order. Um, and he yeah. always got the seats. Now, like I said, we usually split it up, split it up between, you know, family night and date night and, you know, friends night or whatever. So he was usually down front when it was his friends. That, that was how he would divvy up the tickets. The, the nights he was down front, he would just take one of his buddies. Cause that's a little bit too, too hectic to, uh, bring the kids and, uh, mm -hmm. or your wife, you know, so they would usually chill behind the stage or something like that. Um, those two shows, the those March of '95 shows, were the first time I was actually facing the stage. Usually, we were behind, you know, fairly close, but behind the stage. So, you know, seeing Bill's bald spot and uh, Brent was the only <laughs> one in my, my childhood shows. Brent was the one that I felt like a the most connection with because you know I was like not directly face to face with him, but I could see his face. Whereas Jerry, Bobby, Philly mm -hmm. just saw the back of their head. And he, and he kind of looked like Jim Henson, too, so there was that connection growing up. <laughs> he definitely Reading his book, talking about yeah, the, you know, got up to in, in the middle of a stadium on the drum riser, and I'm wondering, like, oh, I was probably sitting there watching him and not even realizing it. <laughs> the drummers were right. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I've never been back there, uh, for, uh, but it would be great for me. I'm a drummer mainly, and it would be awesome to sit back there and just watch during drums or something. Uh yeah, they could be hypnotic to watch. I remember seeing one of the incarnations, probably was the other ones, uh, you know, post Jerry. Uh, I remember a couple nights really getting into watching the drummers. That can be really hypnotic. Yeah, there was those nights when it was just really on, and and uh, you know, I... drums can be fun. Space is definitely a, a bathroom break for me. Uh, sometimes it can be interesting, but for me, yeah. As long as you time it like right at the, the in-between, right when they walk out and the drummers are walking off and Jerry's still trying to figure out what's going on. And then that's the time to go and then get yeah, back. And yeah. then it's good. <laughs> like three I minutes totally before that miracle starts. The practicality of space totally makes sense. Those guys need a break. You know, Jerry, Jerry's got a, a few cigarettes in them, whatever else they might need to do. I, I totally get it. But auditorially, it's not a, it's not the high point for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one, though, uh, had a pretty good first set. Uh, Killer Hell in a Bucket, West L.A. I always love that song. Uh, and yeah, El Paso, I do too. too. Yeah. Yeah, the um, El Paso West I LA. thought was pretty unique. For sure. Bobby was a good um, on the El Paso, and I thought 
Vince was bringing some some south of the border flavor to it. It really had that kind of uh, mariachi type feel to it in certain parts. It definitely had a different uh, El Paso than I'm used to. I don't I don't delve too too much into '90s shows, but it was fun to listen to this. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That when, as I was listening to it, that El Paso and the Ramble on Row specifically kind of stuck out. Um, like wow, that's those were two really bright moments there in the first set between besides the Hell in a Bucket. Yeah, and again with the, the the crowd during that ramble on Rose, they were right there in all the key spots. You know what I mean? I'm getting goosebumps listening to them when he hits that leader of the band, which is just there's there's no nobody else in the world that fits that lyric better for me. You know, he puts that finger in the air, and then he comes in on that <laughs> one solo with that classic tone, and that crowd's right there. And it's not even that. I mean, not that remarkable of a ramble on the Rose you know, Ramble and Rose uh, solo, but still mm-hmm. the, the effort the was there. The crowd was yeah. feeling it. The energy, like, like just, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't technically the, the most fantastic, but the energy that Jerry had with it and the crowd and, and you could tell it was going back and forth. Took it Absolutely. a step up. Took it a step up. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, where were you sitting for the, you said this is the first time in your front. Where were you sitting for this one? We weren't on the floor, but we were in like a seated section, but directly in front. You know, I'd, I'd right have on. to look at a map to, to point it out to you. But, yeah, facing the stage, yeah. right and center, in front of Bobby, but, you know, a basketball court away. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, so uh, was it just GA down on the floor, or did they have seats, or do you remember? How, how did they run that? They have the seats, but the, the the seats are pretty much ignored, you know, after after a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagine I, I, I saw it at, um, some shows in the old Market Square Arena where they had, like, folding chairs on the floor as the seating and uh yeah, yeah. that just didn't work <laughs> that didn't work at all um but okay so uh tom thumb it sounded like people were singing uh happy birthday to phil although it wasn't it was his birthday had been a few days ago but you know that's a thought that counts right <laughs> if you pay i gotta find a version where you can hear more clearly what they're saying it sounds like jerry says something pretty early in the show which obviously is pretty odd for him to even regard you know, mm-hmm. the audience in any capacity. Um, but they, they treat, they must say something about it being Phil's birthday. And then they take turns, you know, Bobby says it's Jerry's birthday. Jerry says it's the drummer's birthday. You know, it's, it's very rare to see them joking around, especially uh, <laughs> time. But I, you know, that, that speaks to their vibe, the collective vibe that night. Everybody was feeling it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Then, then after they sing to him, he, he whips out, tom thumb blues which is always a tom thumb blues <laughs> yeah uh, I, I love bob dylan but uh this one i i, I never mind did mind hearing it but um it's just tom no thumb i always like to. phil always editorializes the lyrics to tom thumb which i enjoy you know hear different versions where you know uh, my best friend, the drummer, won't even tell me what I dropped and things like that. I, I love when he, he sticks that yeah. stuff in. But even singing, you know, the regular words, he'll throw in an extra, extra the or uh or whatever here or there. But that's it's true, uh, you know. It is, yeah. It's I, I always liked hearing it, but uh, it was never like the highlight for me. <laughs> Did you hear that Tom yeah. Thumb? The no, other yeah, no. But I, I, I definitely enjoy it. I, I've always liked that Dylan song. Um, he might have been giddy because sure. he knew what was in store. He knew what was in store for the next night too. Yeah, yeah. The umbrella chain the next night. Yep. 
And then, uh, so, uh, all, it's all too much. What do you think of this song? That's that, um, I heard it. I think I heard it the, for the first time later that summer somewhere, maybe at Deer Creek or something, but, um, interesting song. For them it's to... hard for me to get excited about Vince singing. Uh, I hate saying yeah. it. I, 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 the guy, you know, he, he definitely, he tried. <laughs> um, were, were there so, any of his songs that you liked? I, I don't mind Samba in the Rain, to be honest with you. I rather enjoy that Same one. Here. Um, Same here. Uh, it's something about it, the way he comes in on certain choruses and harmonizes just that it, it, it's like an emergency break for me, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, And I feel um, bad saying that because I, I know he was a guy with some demons and he, he was in a lot of pain, especially very tired. He did bring a, a certain flavors to the band. Like I said, he was great during that El, pa- uh, El Paso. But uh, yeah. singing, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I don't know if, if bringing in Hornsby right off the bat, right at the beginning, at the same time, uh, helped his confidence at all either, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but Sob in the um, Rain, yes, I'm with you on that one. Better, Way better than Way to Go Home. Yeah. <laughs> um well, i love them doing beatles songs though we got two that night two dylan songs two beatles songs um mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that you know the 80s they they started to really honor the entire sort of rock and roll catalog which is really playing dylan songs playing stone songs which we got one later on uh mm-hmm. beatles obviously they definitely had some some good influences and in shows well yeah, and it's there's they're a band that has nothing wrong with their their native catalog. You know, there's lots to explore there. There's lots of fun there, but the fact that they started peppering in all these different covers and stuff, and they essentially were a cover band, you know, all the way back from the their roots. But uh, they really, they, like I said, the honor of the entire uh, uh, catalog is uh, really remarkable. I mean, it brought a whole other element of fun in the '80s and the '90s. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and uh, not not that it was ever repetitive or anything, but you know, I wouldn't mind hearing Weather Report Suite, you know, more often, <laughs> less less dilutes, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I love that song. I actually got a uh, in the late '90s at a Rat Dog show. I got a chill bro hand gesture from Bobby one night because uh, it was that it was October. <laughs> he used to come through Philly with rat dog it was that time of year in october and i was just screaming weather report weather report and i was right up front he he kind of smirked at it for a song or two and he definitely started like all right calm down like it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't coming and he heard me i i equally cringe at and cherish that that memory you had an interaction Uh, and okay, so you know, as we were pre- prepping for this this year, you mentioned that somebody had called the the Ico Ico that came early in the second set. Yeah, there. I don't know if it was during the set break or if it was earlier in the. It had to have been during the set break actually, because the, my dad said something about an Ico coming. He could just feel it, and the guy behind me was like pat tat on the shoulder, stranger. But you know that's how the art shows. Tap from the shoulder was like, yeah, yeah, we need Nico, we need Nico, and I I thought it might have been the second set opener, but it was right there, and that's that that place was 
bonkers. I remember that was uh, definitely the the climax of the show. Rainbow and Rose might have been my personal yeah. climax of the show. That Ico was unbelievable. They were swinging from the rafters. Yeah, I was um, listening to there's, today. There's was video. It's like, fun. There's video online. You can see Jerry bopping, which again for that time and knowing what what was in store that summer to see him having that much fun was really cool. Yeah. As I was listening to that, um, I didn't see any shows in spring 95, but I saw a few, um, in summer 95 and, um, it, it, it was, there's such a difference even between just the spring. Cause I, I felt like by the end of that summer tour, Jerry was just checked out. Like, he was ready to go home and sleep or, or, or do whatever, but um, just such a, a vast difference between the show I was listening to today versus the, the end of that summer, four months later, like five months later, you know? Yeah. And we even thinking back, uh, it had to have been the Saturday night and the lot before um, one of my dad's friends we ran into happened to be down in front the night before the St. Patty's day show. And they remarked, Jerry looks like shit. And, uh, if you noticed in the beginning, they take a little bit of break. Jerry breaks a string or something. Um, and he, mm-hmm. he has to check out. For and I remember at the time being remembering what they had said the night before uh, the light bulb went over my head, like, uh Oh, you know, little, little drama queen teenager that I was. Luckily it was just a broken string, but it was the first thing I thought of where they, they said he looks like shit. And yeah, it's a shame. He, he, he was feeling yeah. like shit. Yeah, definitely. But luckily, he was playing well on that playing in the band. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was a fun sandwich. Or I guess it wasn't really a sandwich, but I always like that transition. That's a quintessential dead thing. Those two songs just have you know have to go together for me. Right. Yeah. And if you're if you're one of those jam people that likes to pick out pick out the jams just to listen to the the transition on this one is is uh, particularly awesome. Uh, from the plan into the yeah, band, and I like I that they they keep they take it out, but they keep it tight. I, sometimes, uh, admittedly, for me playing in the band, they put a little bit too long a tail on the kite. Uh, but that's that's the beauty of it because when they take it that far out, it makes it that much better when it comes back. But what was what was your feeling throughout this night? I mean, you picked this one for a reason. What what is the uh... What is the reason that you know that made this one so so special and 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 uh, the one that sticks out in your mind is that Grateful Dead show? Um, that, it was a, a lot of firsts for me. It was the first time I went to two shows in a row. So I was there the night before. Mm-hmm. I was there uh, the Saturday night. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, it, the whole experience. You know, I had just. Uh, for the last two years, I've been enjoying, you know, teenage hobbies. So bringing all that to the uh, the the four and my favorite band it was probably the, the night that I remembered the most or uh, recognized the, the the most songs. Um, you know, going as a kid, you know, I would know this song or know that song, uh, "Fire on the Mountain," some salient ones, but this one I knew, mm-hmm. you know, a, a good chunk of them. So I really really enjoyed myself. I remember. I think I was telling you the, the partying aspect of it coming in. And, you know, when you're a kid, mm-hmm. there's balloons there. Okay, balloons, you know. Yeah, they have balloons. Walk, walking into that stadium under 
under the influence and you see all the balloons bouncing around and you go, Oh, that's, that, that's why they have balloons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And good on them for not littering. They put them to good use later in the show. Yeah. And that was another connection <laughs> I never made as a child where those balloons come from. I just figured they all stopped at the party store on the way down. Right. Right. <laughs> They do that now, though. The, everybody stops at the party, party store for those glow sticks, you know, so they can uh, yeah. mess up the uh, stadium. <laughs> we were at a show, uh, I think it was actually two, three years right before that, the same exact date. It was 318, maybe 92. And there was uh, mm-hmm. a huge chain of those, those necklace glow sticks that you link together. There there must have mm-hmm. been 50 to 100 of them that I linked together, and they were passing it around the, uh, the top of the stadium. Uh, that was pretty cool. I, I know it was the same date. It was three eighteen. It was either ninety three or ninety two in the spectrum. Gotcha. That was a cool show. That was a good year. Yeah, that was a good tour. I, I saw. I want to see. I saw Richfield and uh, Rosemont. Maybe. I don't know. I can't remember all those early nineties years. Kind of a, are starting to blend together now. Yeah, that's when ninety two. I was kind of in my rebellious metalhead. You know. I went because mm-hmm. we were going, you know, as a fan type thing. It wasn't necessarily my bag. I had a good time because I would go to any concert, but it wasn't. A, so who, what, were you going to like went, Soundgarden and stuff like that at that time? That's, that's I was a little too young. I wasn't really going to shows by myself. I wasn't going to shows by myself yet. I mean, my dad's Metallica in the same spot, the same spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. We saw... Uh, Friend, we saw it was called Clash of the Titans with like Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax. That was a big deal. I remember that too. I didn't go to a lot. I, I, I wanted to go. I didn't go to a lot of shows by myself, but I would go with friends. Yeah. What's uh, what, what's like the best show you've seen outside of the Grateful Dead? Like you walked away and you're like, wow! Not only were they just badasses, they had an incredible show, and it was just wow. I remember being blown away. We, I saw Paul McCartney in like probably in like late '80s or something like that when he came around. That was mm-hmm. just the light show, the, the 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 songs, the crowd. That was unbelievable for me. You know, I was like ten or eleven at yeah. the time. Um, so you mentioned um, uh, you you had some experiences. You know, you were. You, you partied through your dead times there, but, but later um, had some revelations and, 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 and things and things in your life changed. Yeah. Things, things, things got a little dark there for a little while. And I was, I was a late bloomer in that regard. I was an early bloomer when it came to, you know, to the normal teenage stuff, I guess. Uh, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get uh, problematic until, you know, after my thirties, but uh, it caught up with me <laughs> real, real quick cost my marriage and uh you know that that might that part of it might be for the better but uh yeah it was definitely i'm still still trying to crawl out of the the damage that i did in like two three short years uh Mm -hmm. it was it's rough to think about in retrospect because you know with what we saw jerry go through you know let alone countless other people it's hard to think, you know, we had in our head there was going to be some sort of success story. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there you know. Uh, and it's going on until this day with, uh, the, you know, the Foo Fighters drummer and 
uh, you know, any number yeah. of other people every single year for as long as I can remember. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, like currently I'm reading the, uh, the Miles Davis uh, autobiography, which I highly suggest to anybody just because it's such a fun, crazy ass read, but, um, all through it, he's just, you know, just page after page of this person's a junkie, this person's a junkie and this person's a junkie. And they all just die all, you know, all through his life, you know, from, yeah. you know, everybody from Billy holiday to, to, to bird and, and, and everybody. And it's like, yeah, someday, say, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, and it's like you, you see it happen. Make the connection, <laughs> and uh, but yet we still see it, you know, year after year, and it, and uh, you know, sad, sad, but you know, it, I just feel like you know, if you, if you know somebody like that, reach out your hand, uh, you know, yeah. shake hands with that stranger yeah. and and give them some help. Yeah, definitely empathize. No, it's it, there's. I know, speaking for me in particular, there was a lot of pain that you know went into those decisions on the front end, and for a minute, it really does help. It puts a it puts a dent in that pain. But you have like two, three good days of that, and then it catches up with you, and then it's not fun anymore at all. And it's so, it, I'm looking at the better part of a decade right now. I'm still still calling out. It's remarkable where I'm at, how much progress I've made, but it took absolutely no effort to destroy everything and uh it's taken every bit of effort to call it, crawl back out awesome well i'm glad to hear it i'm glad to you know talk to you and, and i do appreciate you reaching out and, and sharing uh yeah absolutely and, and yeah yeah it's awesome i do i really do appreciate it so uh thanks uh so cool. okay so one last question um sure. give me a recommendation of something that 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 uh, you thought was really incredible recently, whether it's a book, a movie, a TV show, uh, uh, an album, uh, something that's uh, when you finished, you were like, wow, that was different and, and really good. Something for our, our listeners to check out when they've got a Recent, Recent's a tough one. Cause I, I, I remember you asking other uh, 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 guests that question. And the first thing that always pops into my mind is the, my favorite book is cat's cradle. Uh, I recommend that's, Vonnegut oh, yeah. to anybody. Cat's Cradle is great. That's my anytime anybody recommends a book, that's uh, what I recommend. As far as recently, oh, yeah. I, I would have I'm definitely a, a revisitor. I don't go through a lot of new stuff, TV shows, movies. I watch the the old ones over and over again. Uh, I'm you. a huge Sopranos fan. I've probably watched that series like 20 times. Uh, you always get something <laughs> new out of it. You know, very. Uh, same ethos as the Grateful Dead. You know, you can listen to the same thing over and over and over again, but you always pick out some some little nuance that you know demands that re, another re-listen. Definitely. So back to Vonnegut. I love Cat's Cradle. Um, my my personal favorite is Breakfast of Champions of his. Uh, I have this theory that it's it's actually he wrote it about my hometown. Um, he, he he. I think he talks about. He talks about Fort Wayne and Muncie and some other things, but I'm from a, a town sort of in between all those. And, and one of the characters in particular uh, walks through a river and when he comes out on the other side, his, his feet are like totally encased in plastic because the river is like so polluted. And, and that's exactly uh -huh. what was going There's like, and he talks about the car factories, which was my town. So uh, not only is it a, a funny uh -huh. book that as I was reading, it, I was like, Holy shit, this is about, this is about us right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very the, cool. Yeah. But uh, so player piano is another one of his books um, that 
I haven't read. That's the only one. So I'm, I'm just saving that one. So I've still got one more Vonnegut book to read someday. <laughs> you know what was really, really good that I read recently? If we want to go somewhat recent, uh, Bogombo Snuffbox is a collection of like magazine fiction that he did. And uh-huh. it's, it's very, very, it has his flavor to it, but you know, there's just, it's, uh, it only like touches in the science fiction. It definitely has more kind of explorations of his view of, you know, uh, different facets of humanity. It's like character studies, very, you know, kind of dishonest people, and, you know, you, you, as the reader, you see their dishonesty catch up with them and people, you know, kind of the theme of Mother Night, you know, people, you know, becoming who they pretend to be. You definitely see, you know, where his sort of, uh, you know, personal ethos kind of develops, you know, before he was, you know, uh, well, not that he's a household name, but as much as a household name as Vonnegut is. Yeah. I definitely I, recommend I, that one. That reminds me of Galapagos, too. That's kind of like where humanity ends up. As they're on the cruise ship, yeah. and like the future of you know everybody's evolved <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read that one, so I've got a grasping there. But I, but I, I remember yeah, I haven't read it in a while too. But I know we're we're all seals or something like that. A million years, yeah, in the yeah. We, people start turning into I, seals, yeah. <laughs> the, the main characters like what Kilgore Cal- Trout's son or something like that. Something weird. Yeah, yeah. We actually here in Denver that we have a, a Kilgore Trout bookstore downtown. Really? That's, that's the name of yeah. Uh, love going in there. It's right in the Capitol Hill area. Uh, really cool shop. Um, but if I might say, might say so, just Slaughterhouse Five, also another fantastic book. Since we're talking about Vonnegut, <laughs> uh, Slaughterhouse and Cat's Cradle, I read at least once a year. And again, we were talking yeah. about revisiting and, and gleaning something new every time. Both of those books, you know, always pick out something new. Slaughterhouse is, you know, almost perfect, and it's insane to me that. You know, facets of it, autobiographical. Obviously, it in the time travel yeah. different planets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much for bringing that up too, because uh, yeah, I I think I have my copy of Slaughterhouse Five sitting right next to me. I'm going to whip out and start reading this week or something just to revisit that. Awesome. All right, Thomas, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider hitting the subscribe button and leaving a comment. Your feedback and engagement really goes a long way to supporting and growing the show. And really, this is your show with your stories. So if you have a story or even a few of them from seeing Grateful Dead shows or experiences of how the band has impacted your life in some way, I'd love to hear from you and have you on. My email is will at talesfromthelot.org. Reach out. Uh, or you could use the new text me feature that's in the show notes. You can easily reach out and connect with me directly that way. And don't forget to follow on Facebook for updates and exclusive content. And for those who prefer watching, full videos of every episode are available on my YouTube channel. So uh, thanks again. And please be kind to yourself and others.